What's up, Beef Talk fans? We've got Drew on. We've got our guest, Ryan Luxenberg, on. And we're ready to talk about the NFL games and MLB games for this week. Who's excited to talk about the Raiders? What happened there? Well, how can I say this? It wasn't their finest showing in their long and poor history. The Raiders just looked... Completely horrible. Has their playoff window closed? I'd say so. I mean, like, the Chiefs, as much as I hate to say it, they're going to win the division. Not because they're good. It's because the rest of the teams in their division are incompetent to win it. Like, we had the Chargers. We had the Raiders. Who had two, three-game leads over them. Yet they couldn't even keep because they kept losing and losing. What happened? They can't. They can't stay like on a like perfect streak for shit. They're not top teams, even though the Chiefs aren't either. They have the experience to be one. They know what they're doing, even if they've been uh p- pretty porous on the defense to start off the year. Okay, we're gonna bring in Ryan Luxemburg to answer this question as well. What do you got here? All right, so uh, the Las Vegas Raiders. I uh. I'd say that it's about due time for their mid-season imploding. Um, I wouldn't say that the Chiefs are as ready for the Super Bowl as a lot of people are saying that they are. Um, There were a lot of plays that if any other NFL team does, I think that the Chiefs get beat, i.e. when Deshaun Jackson had a wide-open lane to the end zone, but he ran backwards and fumbled. But I do think that the Chiefs are going to win the division, but they will be a first or second round exit. Well, here's the thing. I think that the Raiders uh, had a lot of things that spoke to many volumes. A, their overall locker presence is not there. And you see that with the loss of Ruggs and Damon Arnett. So when you already have a gap there and the loss of Gruden, not to mention, you already have the loss of culture. Number two, I think that the Raiders are overrated to begin with. And the Chiefs, even though they're not that much better, are consistently a good offense. And Mahomes has had his bouts with interceptions lately. But when you have Kelsey and Tyreek Hill on the field, you're going to have a good offense. That's just the reality of the situation. So I think that the Raiders really just need to focus on possibly next season because this season I don't see as a playoff contention or even maybe not even 500. I mean, speaking of culture... When your head coach, your wide receiver one, and your cornerback, I'm not sure if he's one or two, all leave well, all leave the team within three weeks, I'd say that you have a very hard time recovering from that. And especially with like how good so, someone like Henry Ruggs and their major, their number one receiver, and then like like it's second, like just in like two days. Like, Gruden was, like, the loss was bad, but, like, we have to realize here is that they, like, completely imploded since then. Like, Ruggs, with that loss, like, and especially, and also with Arnett, like, ever since, like, they left, the Raiders have just been losing. They lost to the Giants. Then they just got blown out by the Chiefs. Like, it is not a good showing for the Raiders at all. And as... We saw say that as their name, the Raiders of the Lost Ark. They look completely lost. All right, to move on to the next question, question and burning. What is your biggest takeaway from the Bills Jets game? We all were there, and we saw the Bills win. It was a great game for the Bills, not from not so much for the Jets. What do you got here, Ryan? Well, I'd like to say the biggest takeaway is that Josh Allen has not regressed. I think that he has finally shut up all the haters who said last year was a one-year wonder. When you compare his stats from the first nine games of last year and the first nine games of this year, he's excelling in every single category except for being tied for interceptions. So, mind you, the defense was extraordinarily good for Buffalo. I think Josh Allen lit up the field, and I don't see any signs of him regressing. Well, to make more on that point, I thought that Josh Allen was extremely accurate, and you saw that with deep field passes. You saw that with mid-range passes. All across the board, I think that he was on. Now, secondly, the defense was on when you're holding to the, the Jets. And the Jets aren't that great. But when you're holding them to very minimal points, three at 
which is what they scored. It really speaks to volumes of how good your defensive quality on the line is and how good your coaching is. So I, I honestly think that the Bills are going to use this going forward to a playoff contention and possibly a Super Bowl berth. Well, if there's a few takeaways we can take from this game, it, these are the few. One, I think we can all agree on this, is that the Mike White era is over. Absolutely, it's over. The era of the White Stallion has, unfortunately, and happily for the rest of us, come to an end. Because now we, we can all finally live in peace knowing that Mike White won't have any more spectacular games and Zach Wilson will suck for the rest of the year. <laughs> and then we can all we can all also understand that there's just a certain possibility that Stefan Diggs might be an acrobat for a side job. Considering we how we saw that ridiculous touchdown catch that made it 17 nothing, Or was it 17-3? He was like flying in there, making all sorts of moves. And three, I think the chemistry of this offense really showed because Allen was getting in every single player. Every single one. Diggs, Sanders, Beasley, Breda, Singletary, Moss, every, and Knox also. Everyone was involved. Davis also. Like, everyone got involved. Every person got the ball thrown or, and, or they got, like, they, he handed it off to. Every single person got involved. Even if that was against the, one of the worst defenses I've, that has ever been known to man is showing that when the Bills' offense works as a unit, as a singular unit, that they are a major force to be reckoned with. There's a reason why they're the number one scoring offenses in the league. And and same thing with the the defense and efficiency. I think that if Matt Greta does not start next week when the Bills play the Indianapolis Colts, Bills fans will riot at Brandon Bean's house. I think that the Bills (laughs) have found at least a short-term answer for this year at running back brings a nice speedy element to the offense instead of having two grounded pound running backs like Singletary and Moss. Well, so I think something that needs to be said is that our running game was effective, as Ryan just said, and B, that when we're consistently being corners from another team, it really can show how high our offense can become, right? If you're consistently winning like how Diggs was, he got similar totals to like what he would last year. I think this year he's taking a little bit of a step back. But if he consistently has games like that, it can really change Buffalo as a playoff team that is six and three to a team that could be maybe fourteen and three. So and another big thing that I got out of the Jets is that Michael Carter has been so underrated because even against a defense like the Bills he has shown that when he gets blockers, he can tear up a defense. Tear it up. And he played so well. He was the one bright spot in the Jets' poorest offense. Oh, my God. It was hard to watch. Well, Joe Flacco did have a touchdown, so I wouldn't. Yes, Joe Flacco. The only reason they even got that far is because a ridiculous personal foul penalty was called on the Bills just because they sacked Mike White and he got injured. Like, that's the only reason they even got that far. And it was ridiculous to begin with. It was a clean, like, a clean tackle. And, like, like I think these, re- as you said, these refs were the worst ref unit in the NFL. Like, there was a lot of calls made that just didn't make sense and they shouldn't have not been. They should not have been called. All right. Well, to, to move on, have the Cowboys reasserted themselves as Super Bowl contenders? Even though, I hate to say this, now nah, forget they haven't. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, look, they're a good team. I, I'm, I'm not saying that they're not. But we have to remind ourselves who they were playing here. They were playing... The Atlanta Falcons. Well, the Atlanta the Falcons. The playing the Jets. Yes, but we also yes, but the difference is with the with the Falcons, they didn't have Ridley. Their receivers, I don't even know who their names were. I think one of them was Russell. Of the their top one of their top two receivers was Russell Gage. <laughs> I mean, let's, let's be honest here. And look, Cordell Patterson, he got injured earlier in the game. He they did not have a functioning offense. 
to be right there. Like, and the Falcons, just, they're horrible. They're, they're well, Kyle Pitts is probably their best receiver. Pitts is their best receiver. But, but like, the problem is, when there's no one else other than him in an offense, you got a problem. Well, it's very one-dimensional, and the Cowboys yeah. have, a, have a three-dimensional offense. When you have the run game that's working, and you have the pass game that's working, as, as well as other factors. Actually having good receivers. Well, sure, when you have C.D. Lamb and, and Michael Gallup out there, and Amari Cooper, none, and then nonetheless. And adding in the blockers on their offensive line. And Ezekiel Elliott. <laughs> that was already said, but, but implied. When you, when you have that complete of an offense, which I believe is the most complete in the NFL, then it can really change how your team is viewed. When you're an offensively-based team with a solid defense, they can almost run a formula sim- similar to like how the Nets did. You gotta outscore teams. Maybe um, a formula similar to like how the Colts did with Peyton Manning. Just score fifty, and have your defense hold the uh, other team to an adequate amount of points. That's not too large. Well, Dylan, to piggyback off of how you said, are the Dallas Cowboys contenders? I'm at a crossroads. I will say that they are contenders for the reason that you won't think. I do not find the NFC intimidating. Well, sure. The, well, I do not see a strong team who could beat the Cowboys right now. Neither do I see the Cowboys beating another team. I think that the NFC is up for grabs, and if Dallas plays their best game against Green Bay, who plays a mediocre game, I think Dallas wins. I think that all of the teams in the NFC are a solid 7.5, and none of them are a dominant front runner. All right, I actually agree with you there. So getting to the playoffs is mostly a shoe in because you have Washington, Philly, and the Giants, and those teams are just disgustingly bad. We we can agree that that any of those teams are not going to be even five hundred. There's only one bright spot that comes out of the NFC East, and it's not the Cowboys being good. Is that the Giants have three wins? We have one more to go before Derek has to get a, jo- a Bills jersey. We're all rooting for the Giants. Let's go, Giants. We want that jersey. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's so wonderful. That would be such a wonderful image. Now, the next topic is about a tie that went on between uh-huh. the Lions and those Pittsburgh Steelers. So, Oof, that's a rough game. Do you view that as a long-term win for the Lions or not? Well, as... The Steelers are in name. This Mason Rudolph stole the show as with his mediocrity. <laughs> I'm not, well, not being terrible. True. true. I will say this about Mason Rudolph. When you haven't checked your fantasy team like me until Sunday morning and you see Kyler Murray is out, Mason Rudolph is the perfect guy to get you 15 points. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously Pat Freermuth is not the guy to catch the ball that needs to be caught. To get into okay, field already. There's a difference. <laughs> yeah, well, well, look, okay. That was, that was a blunder for sure. <laughs> that was a blunder. <laughs> yeah, this year, he's been known for making really good catches, having like his hands like glue in the red zone and to get touchdowns. Like, I, yes, it was one really bad play and it was horrible. But you have to understand, you have to look at the bigger picture here. He, he was, he's been a key component of the Steelers' offense. Look, I'll tell you what the bigger picture is. The Lions kicker has a noodle leg. <laughs> that's what he, that's, that's the reality. He kicked it short. It wasn't even wide. It, not right, not left. Short. <laughs> There's a problem there. Well, I will say this to defend Friars mode. And I do not like the Steelers this season. I don't like a lot of their players. Mm-hmm. I will say this. That game should not have come down to that. That game... Pittsburgh should have been up, I'd probably say, 24 to 16, at least, going into the fourth. I think that Pittsburgh shot themselves in the foot way too much that game. And mind you, you do have a backup QB, but still, the rest of the team needs to step up for that. For example, uh, Mason Rudolph's interception was not very good, and I think that if he doesn't make that horrible decision, Pittsburgh wins the game. Okay. I mean, do you think that the, the, the Lions, though, were at fault 
for like for blowing it. I mean, honestly, I I I think that it's really a collaboration of sucking for from both from the, my perspective from both of them. Not a loss of the Lions. It's better than a win because they don't hurt their draft position, but they won't go zero and seventeen this year. Well, sure. I think that's the perfect case scenario for Detroit fans. I mean, it has to look decent for uh for Campbell to at least get something. I mean, they had not they had zero wins. When you have zero wins and you're brought in as a new head coach, sure, there's upbringing that they needed to do because the Lions are a terrible team. Oh, really? I didn't notice. No, of course, of course you didn't notice. But <laughs> but they should. They at least should be. Cl- they're at least clawing at different games. Like they're really close here. They're really close there. But they actually have never executed a win, which is a problem, and it needs to be talked about. Where credit is due for Detroit. I do not think that Dan Campbell is at fault. I think Agreed. Dan Campbell is not like the best coach on the face of the earth, but he is a hell, of, a hell of a lot better than David Tully. I think that he's earned a starting job next year, and I think that he's done a lot of good things for the Lions. Even though fans really hated him for drafting Panay Sewell at number six. Oh, they did a great job. Yeah, with but that. he's been one of the only bright spots that's on that team, considering how bad they are. Well, their roars are more like meows. They're like, meow. Also, <laughs> in reality, should be two, six, and one. Agreed. Well, they should have beaten the Ravens because Justin Tucker apparently has the opposite like, of a noodle like leg. He has the opposite. Officials, but the play clock was at least four seconds through on the Ravens' second to last play. And then against the Vikings. They blew a coverage where Adam Thielen had around a 25-yard catch would set up the Vikings in field goal range. Now, that one is the Lions' fault, but with proper discipline, and 9 out of 10 times, I give Detroit that game. I think that they are a lot better than people say, and they are not the worst team in the NFL. Oh, agreed. But either way, the answer always leads back to they're not finishing. Yeah. That, that's, what a game, that's what it comes down to, right? The Jaguars aren't finishing either. They're also a bad team. No, but they've they but in the past few weeks though they have shown that they're a force because they're bad. Well, the Jaguars have actually won two out of their past three, but yeah, they're, they're only starting to finish games. They're, they're they're the wounded animal in the corner, and the wounded animals in the corners are always the most dangerous ones because they'll do anything to win, anything. And the Jaguars did that. They they clawed at the Bills. They almost beat the Colts. Like they've shown that like they're not. As bad as they were last year, and that team was just pitiful. That was hard well, to watch last Drew, year. to talk about the Jaguars-Bills game, I don't like to think about this game, but I think that there's a positive coming out of it. Yeah. And sure. I, I know that he will not win it because the NFL awards is half popularity, half skill. And offensive linemen do definitely do not win popularity votes. But mm-hmm. I think behind Matt Jones and Jamar Chase... And possibly Najee Harris, Spencer Brown is the offensive rookie of the year. The Bills wow. averaged thirty-four point eight points when he's starting, and they only average around twenty-three points when he's not. Wow, that's the a big differential. Are five and one with Brown starting, and they are one and two with him not. Wow! Wow! Those stats are bigger than I, I thought even, they were. I never even thought about that. Wow! Wait. Those are some explosive stats, but we got to move on to talk about the Patriots here. How soon would you consider the Patriots to be title contenders? Boom goes the cannon, and and so do my hopes with, like, uh, actually, like, just showing my dominance over Logan, who is my friend, Patriots fan, and one of the main sources of my misery. So, well, before you guys say anything about the game, I want to get one thing out straight. I like Mac Jones. I like him coming out of Alabama. But I do not see him as a Super Bowl winning quarterback. Okay. I see him as a playoff winning quarterback, but I cannot see him winning a Super Bowl. I think that he has landed in a very good situation with Bill Belichick, a very good offensive line, and a top 10 defense. But I think that Mac Jones is better than people give him credit for, but not as good as people are overreacting at this point. Because I'd still say that the Patriots almost every year are a second or third round exit. Well, let me bring in this. I think the thing that's not being talked about enough is how good Bill Belichick is as a coach. 
Yeah. When you have Brady, who is a sixth-round pick, a late one nonetheless, and then you have Mac Jones, who is not even a top-ten pick, although many pundits thought he could be number three. The the point is, he was a non-mobile quarterback who had a good overall accuracy, but not necessarily a... Mo- not, excuse me? Mac Jones is a lot more mobile than you think. He's not that mobile, though. I mean, like when, when you're comparing to players like Kyler Murray... Well, I mean, if you're going, if you're going to or Josh Allen. Lawrence mobile, I call Mac Jones mobile. Look, you're, you're comparing... The, the difference is, you're comparing Mac Jones to one of the most mobile quarterbacks in the league. Like, that's kind of an unfair comparison. We already knew he wasn't egregiously mobile coming out of college. We knew that already. But we have to say that he's definitely made the best of what he's had because he has this good offensive line. So they give him time to actually start running around. Try to well, yes, but you have to give a lot of credit to both uh, Josh McDaniels and Belichick Very much. for actually setting up an offensive, an offensive system that works for both teams. When you, when you have Mac Jones and Tom Brady that have succeeded in the system, and Ken Newton wasn't given enough time, so he's, he's an outlier. It shows that but when other rookies are also brought in, it works. They're always successful for the most part. I think that the Patriots land most of their picks overall compared to most other teams. I mean, except for, like, the Ravens. who The, the Ravens land, like, everyone. <laughs> well, because the Patriots and the Ravens have one thing very major in common. They always choose Alabama players. Almost always. And the Patriots do it for a very key reason. Because Saban and Belichick coach together, and they have very similar coaching systems. So when they have that type of like, coaching relationship, they you, people will know, they and they will know, that this pick could very, very well work out in our favor. And this is going to really help our team. Well, the Patriots are going to be a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. Honestly, I, I could see them as a maybe 11-win team at their peak with Mac. Yeah. I, I don't see them doing anything more than that because when you have the Bills in your division, it already cancels out. Maybe maybe they lose one, maybe they lose both. But overall, the Patriots, if they have that defense being at what it is and then improve what their receiving options are, then they could really elevate their level of play around Mac Jones. But I think, the like, look, the Patriots have done very well against mediocre to bad competition this year. But when they were against and when they were against those top teams like the Bucks and the Cowboys, the Bucks they held them to a very low number, especially led by Brady. One of the best offenses in the league stopped. Well, they also, lost, but they stopped. That game, I'm not going to say that it's entirely the weather's fault, but the weather had a big component in that game. It was windy, it was rainy, it was cold. Then I let's mean, talk about the Cowboys game then. And normally when weather conditions are bad, the worst team has the advantage. Also, Speaking of Mac Jones, I'm going to go against my bringings and my ethics to defend a Patriots player. Uh. Last week, when he was quote-unquote twisting Brian Burns' ankle, I do not think that that was intentionally dirty. I think that was a holding penalty. It looked bad, but it wasn't what it looked like it was on the video. Yeah. Agreed. I, I I have a similar perception of it as to you. Yeah. Uh, now to move on to our next topic, we're gonna be talking about the Rams game, and I think it really shows something about the Rams as a team. Do you think that the results of the Rams game were because of how bad the Rams were, or because of how good the Forty ers were? Drew, I'll start you. Okay. Well, I think the Forty ers have struck gold with the offense because the Forty ers Took their offense, which I remind you, 49ers just made the Super Bowl two years ago. The 49ers, I think, finally figured out the right plays, the right ways to maneuver this offense, and they just took it out on a great defense spearheaded by Aaron Donald and the Rams. They just they took the Rams and took and just flipped them on their heads. They won thirty one to ten. That's saying something. That's saying that the Ram, the 49ers defense was already one of the best. Well, I Let's have two big takeaways from the game. Yeah. So you guys, everyone knows the Madden curse, correct? Correct. Yeah. 
I think that there is a such thing as the Odell Beckham Jr. curse. <laughs> Quarterbacks tend to perform much worse when Odell Beckham is on the field. Well, are you agreeing with that when he was on the Giants? Or are you yes, specifically talking about the Browns? Okay, so you're talking about the Giants too, okay. Eli Manning was far worse with, when Odell Beckham Jr. was receiver compared to five years ago when he was slaying balls to Mario Manningham in the Super Bowl. Mind you, that came with age, but still. And my second takeaway of the game is that Debo Samuel is one of the most underrated players in the NFL. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah, he's been Honestly, really good for my fantasy team. I haven't watched him a ton up until this point. Against him in fantasy, I was up 21 going into the night, and I was confident. I woke up, and I lost, and I was extraordinarily surprised. I was expecting maybe 9, 10 points out of him. He blew my socks off. How many did he have? Honestly, I can't remember. I shut off my phone. Let me check. Well, while you're checking, I'm going to note that I haven't watched a ton of Debo Samuel up until now, but I didn't realize up until the game of how fast he was and how many yards he can create after the catch. That really changes what people view as... A receiver, right? If you have a receiver that can get 20 yards after the catch, okay. then that can be huge for your team. And the 49ers okay. now have a second component to George Kittle. So do you guys have any guesses for how many points Debo Samuel had? 23. I'm going to go with 20. 30.6. Okay. okay, I was wrong. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and I was up 24.3. Well, that's tough. Let's consider the, the Rams, though. When the... If the Rams are choking like this, there was a big interception by Stafford that turned into a pick six. Are they really a, a Super Bowl contender, or are they not really? I, I feel like every year they hint at us that they might be getting close, but then, to be honest with you, I don't really see it. I, I, yeah. I can't trust them with the back of my hand. Yeah. Well, again, Dylan, I can bring up the argument that I don't see the NFC as a very strong conference. I'm starting to see So why. I think that any team that has won their division, I think that they are a Super Bowl contender, even though if they were put in the AFC, they are far from it. Well, you know, and to contrast with Debo Samuel, I think that the Rams are far overrated. Their defensive value, though, is not inflated to what it should be. It is a great defense. I'm not taking anything away from that. I find that Matthew Stafford was so underrated in Detroit, he's become overrated in L.A. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. He was underrated in Detroit and overrated now. Agreed. The past two weeks have been god-awful. If Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson made that type of throw, people would be screaming on the internet saying that they were a bust. Well, the thing is that there's a a very L.A.-centered market for the TV. And when they talk about it on TV, they're not really going against Matt Stafford. They're just saying that it's a fluke. But when in reality, it might not be. He might just be a little tad overrated. He might not be the best uh, quarterback that everyone thought he was going to be on the Rams. And when you you have Cooper Cup as a receiver, who has the most yards of anyone, I think that there's no excuse to be throwing wild passes as ha- as he has been. And here's the thing, like... I think most people are realizing in the Rams is that when you take away Cooper Cup, Stafford is very vulnerable. Agreed. And I will not blame the entire game on Stafford. These is tight end Tyler Higby. Had two significant drops, one of them resulting in an interception. And and the other resulting in a turnover, not turnover and downs, but forcing the Rams to punt. Yeah, there were a ton of drops, too. A lot of sloppiness from the Rams. And you have to really question how they were preparing for the 49ers in practice. I honestly think that the Rams undervalued the 49ers and what their potential is. When you have Garoppolo at quarterback playing a serviceable game, and even one could say above average, and you have Debo Samuel and George Kittle performing, and you have a healthy defense, that changes the team. Well, I'm very sorry to interrupt you. But I just got a call from the Texans, and they said that a head coaching job was available. So I'm <laughs> going to need to go. <laughs> All right, but I'd love to be back on the show another time. All right? All right, All right. we'll see you then, Ryan. All right, see you guys. All right, so we will move on here. All right. 
What grade would you give the Blue Jays for the Jose Barrios signing? Of course the Blue Jays fan just leaves. Um, but, okay. I'm going to say, and don't yell at me when I say this, I'm going to give it a B plus. Look. Okay. Money-wise, spectacular job. Years-wise, I'm not very supportive of any deals above five years at all. Because what most people realize is that after a few years into these huge contracts, they come to regret them all the time. Especially with something like Bryce Harper. 13 years. What happens after? And he, they have no opt-out. We're only two years in. What happens in five years? Ten years. No, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying just five. Let's just say. No, I'm saying no, halfway, add up to five. Halfway in. Let's just say seventh year. Well, what type of player is he then? The player's value changes. Yeah. He, he's not necessarily as defensive as he once have been. Then the offense saying. might change as well. His offensive numbers might not be quite as high as it was when he's 26. That's what I'm but, trying to say. I'm saying. 13-year deals are not a good idea because if someone starts to go bad, if someone starts to get rotten like a piece of steak, if someone does not turn out the way you think they'll be, you're and you're stuck in a no-opt-out clause, what happens to you? You don't have a choice to get out of that relationship, and you're stuck with a guy who is not producing and is causing you major money problems, and you can't go out and sign someone new because of the spot he's taking up. Well, I'll pick it back on Drew here, and some, what he's referencing is the Jacoby Ellsbury signing. Right there. When we signed him for seven years with an average revenue of $20 million per year, it kind of limited the Yankees as to what they could spend on. So I think what he's talking about here is, is similar, but I think with Jose Barrios, it's a little bit different. You see, in my opinion... Barrios, with consistent numbers across the board, he's relatively young at 27. I see this and grade it as an A signing. And I say that because with an $18 million valuation per year, I think that is really a lot lower than what it could have been. When you have him for seven years, it does lock him up until he's about 34-ish. But I'd be willing to do that if I'm the Blue Jays, if I can understand that I'm getting a consistent pitcher that will probably produce at least until he's 30, maybe 31-ish, 32. I can see that happening, and if they keep that going, they'll be a lot more consistent as playoff contenders. Yes, but we like, we have to look at this from a different perspective. Let's just say Juan Soto, for example. In free agency, he's projected to they want $500 million. That's what the projections are. That's what he's asking for. Cause he, and he is getting represented by Scott Boris. And... He wants a $500 million deal for, like, 15 years. What team? And the Yankees and the Dodgers were the two top options for that. We have to realize here that if you sign someone like that, he's amazing right now. I'm not going against him there. But for $500 million, like, let's just say in a 10-year perspective, that is 50 million dollars per year how are you going to expect that a team is going to be able to spend anything because of how large that contract is especially if you put it on a team like the yankees they won't be able to spend anything for years because they're going to have such a huge block taking up that entire salary cap that you won't be able to spend anything and if that signing doesn't work out if he fizzles and you're stuck your your franchise is a goner gone so just to move on quickly um what would you give your grade for Syndergaard uh give a quick answer it was a 21 million dollar deal I don't like it I'm gonna be very honest I'm gonna give it a C and like look when he's healthy he's a great pitcher the thing is, he's not usually healthy, and he hasn't pitched in, like, two years. And, yes, he's pitched well when he's pitched one inning. Like, as a reliever, like, he's fine as a reliever. I would trust him as a reliever, like a long reliever, like Nestor Cortez. But, he has been injured. He has such a bad injury history. 
has signed him for $21 million for a year. I bet you that they'll end up wasting that money because I bet you he will get injured and he will get a bad injury and he will not survive for like a few months. He'll be gone as fast as he left. Well, well I would give that uh, a C- minus because Syndergaard is really... They're puffing up his value a bit. I think that he's really worth something in the range of $13 million. Yeah. For one year. Yeah. And that's because he hasn't played in two years. Let's understand that he came back from Tommy John surgery. That is, that's something that we're undervaluing here. But honestly, I think the Angels are they're doing the right thing because they're trying to get Otani to sign long term. They realize that he wants to be on a contender. So they need to become a contender. But this is not the right way to become a contender. Signing Syndergaard to an overvalued deal is something that really is not going to help you a ton in the long term because the Yankees already tried this experiment. And that was in the name of Corey Kluber. And that one didn't turn out the way that we all expected it to because he got hurt and then not much. He was just inconsistent. He was was very good when he started out the year before his injury, but then he got injured. Gone. Well, okay. Very good good is questionable. Let's let's start out with... he, he, He was great. For two games, and then b- before that, he was mediocre, he and then he started no-hitter. to come back and got a no-hitter. But I, w- I wouldn't go and say that he had a great start. That, that's not very accurate. Okay. But it, like, let's just say, right now, the Yankees are front runners for Verlander. Right now, the Yankees are the favorite by a lot. And I'm thinking, what? they're going for a Kluber experiment 2.0. Instead of trying to find good... Young guys, someone like Luis Castillo, instead of going for some for young guys to bring in that like or someone maybe try to get someone from the A's, but if like all these young guys who like just have bad in, like instead of like getting these older guys who are young, not young but like old bad hit injury histories, especially someone like Verlander who just got Tommy John surgery last year, and it was out for the year. How and you just did this with Kluber and he got injured for the whole year. Why are we going for a two point Yes, he he's high risk, high reward, but we gotta think about the risk factor. Now, just give a a letter uh, for what you think. No explanation. Eduardo Rodriguez is signing. What was the deal? For? It was like five years. What? It was about fifteen million per year. Okay. Fifteen sixteen. I I'm, I mean, I'll give it a B. I mean, like, yeah, he had 474 ERA last year. Wasn't incredible, but he's been good in other years. So I'm okay with it. I would give it a, a D. And the reason I say that is because I think he was way overrated. So when you have a pitcher that pitched 471 last year, let's just understand that. 16 million... For a pitcher that pitched four seventy one, that is not what you pay for that kind of quality of a pitcher. And Eduardo Rodriguez, as Drew said, has been better in some years past. But generally, the numbers are between four and what he had last year. So I wouldn't go and say fifteen million is the right valuation. I could see it more as a ten million. I would be feel a lot more comfortable with that. And the fact that he got signed for five years is even more grotesque. Mm. I could, I really see more of a two-three or thing. It was a Tigers move. Well, the Tigers it's just spent all their Correa money. Look, it's it's fun to watch the Tigers fail. But they yeah, spent yeah, on overrated players, and then they waste all the money that they did have. Don't I know? I agree with you. I'm just I just find it very funny to watch the Tigers fail. It's a very fun thing to watch. It's incredible. They go like wow, <laughs> Well. Now we're going to move on to a completely different topic. But do you think that Michigan State or Ohio State will win on Saturday? I'm going to go with Ohio State. Because Michigan State just proved last week that they're not, they're not reliable. Even against Michigan, they had to come back from all the way down. And then this game, they were down and didn't come back. But you got Ohio State. Who's played over the past few weeks? Absolutely ridiculous. They've been 
extremely strong as a franchise. And, like, and teams are afraid of them a lot. And, like, yes, they had a poor start. They did. But ever since then, ever since that Oregon loss, C.J. Stroud has come out and showed that he is a top caliber quarterback in this class. Like, not, like, draft class, but just, like, in this year. And he has been very good since that loss. And he's a force to be reckoned with in the coming years. Honestly, I agree with Drew here. I think that C.J. Stroud is probably the second best quarterback behind uh, Bryce Young. But I think what really needs to be talked about is how reliable their receivers are and how reliable their defense is. Honestly, I think that they've got the two best receivers in the country. And then when you pair that with Travion Henderson, who's the best, one of the best running backs in the country, I'll give him number five yeah. overall. And I think that leads to a very efficient offense. And then as long as your defense can hold on, that's really all I'm thinking about. And what I think is going to happen here is that Michigan State doesn't have that potent of an offense. They have a good defense, and nothing to take away from that, and absolutely no shade to Kenneth Walker. I think that Kenneth Walker is arguably the best running back in the country, and uh, and to be honest with you, he should be se- second in the Heisman consideration. Now, to, mo- to move on from that, I think that Ohio State is even get- getting a little bit of disrespect in where they're given in the CFP rankings. I see them more of a three. I, I like them at three. And I understand why they're at four, but I truly think that Oregon has a lesser loss. When, when they lost to Stanford, I truly don't think that they showed that they were a playoff team. I think that Ohio State is that, especially when Purdue uh, beat two of the biggest opponents in the Big Ten. I think that it shows how strong they are when they beat them. But we have to realize right now, the CFP rankings have just come out. It, it's 724. They came out at 7. Right now, the reveal is going on. So, but like for predictions, though, top four, who, is your, who do you think? Honestly, I'm going to be a little bit bland here, but I think it's going to be the same thing. I don't see any movement from Georgia because they've been solid. Alabama, same thing. Absolutely ridiculous. Excuse me? They played in ridiculous games. And then I don't see any reason why Oregon or Ohio State would move either because they all won. Yeah. And then you have a team like Cincinnati who also had a nice win. But do you, there's no differentiation between those five. I don't see any reason why Cincinnati was so much more special than Ohio State's and or Oregon's. So you don't think there's any movement even within the top six with Michigan? At six? No. I could see even no movement in the top seven. I don't see any reason why Michigan State should move. Yeah. Well, they lost. Excuse me? They lost the week uh, before. No, they lost the week before. I forget. They lost the week before. They did not. Okay, but so, yeah. Michigan State's absolutely still in the running for their spot. The real topic to discuss, though, about losing is Oklahoma. Oh. Now... Do you think that their playoff hopes are over? Oh, yeah. Because I certainly think they are. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not because they're, they're bad or anything. It's just that Caleb Williams, just like any other rookie, even though he's 100% special, has a bit of a consistency problem. When you have a Patrick Mahomes game here and then a, like, a nothing burger game there, and you're actually benched by Spencer Rattler, then you really realize that there's a problem. And I think it's a, a deeper-rooted problem than people think. And I think it's really more so about Lincoln Riley. I think Lincoln Riley has been a little bit trigger-happy about taking quarterbacks in and putting them out. So when you have Caleb Williams out there, who's clearly better than Rattler, you got, I think you've got to let him stay in. Even though he was having a rough game, Spencer Rattler, we already knew, is not the answer. But Caleb Williams has that special ability. And we're talking about both passing and running. I truly think that he will be the number one pick after this next uh, next two classes. What well, do you got here, Drew? Yeah. So, I have to intercede, though, with breaking news. Kevin Cash just repeated as AL Manager of the Year. That's nice. So, do you think that the, they made the right decision first? And then we'll go back into the question. 
I think so because the Rays were really the most impressive team this year because when you lose such pieces such as Blake Snell and Charlie Morton, you expect them to take a big step back. But the, what the Rays do best is they rebuild. And when you rebuild with cheaper pieces, that really shows your ability of an organization to scout. And you bring up prospects such as Wonder Franco, obviously he's extremely gifted, and I'm going to give him probably the fourth best shortstop in baseball already. If you ask me, I'd give him that already. I think that the, the Rays are incredibly gifted. You have the rookie of the year, Randy Rosarena, and an incredibly potent offense. I think that this team is young. I think that you're going to have more guys to come from that prospect system, such as Vidal Brujan. And honestly, the Rays are probably going to be the number one team for, I'd say, good five, five years at least. At least. Because they're so young. The Yankees, I could see them having more of a descent quicker. Oh, yeah. Especially with retaining Boone. Like, and like also like keeping that like coaching staff in the minors where it clearly just not has got not gotten better like because we see a, a lot of these prospects who come into the minor into the majors all t- highly touted and then they fail flat like Davy Garcia Harshman they completely failed it was not even close but like again going back into the Oklahoma question like how you're saying like are they over? The playoff hopes. They are. And we already knew that because it, like, they were already the AC. Yes, they were, un, they were undefeated. But their wins didn't, were not healthy looking. And then this like game all over the place just proved it. Like quarterbacks, decision making, and just the overall competence of their like of, of just them as a team, we saw them go up against Baylor, who is the top, other top team in the Big Twelve. Uh, Baylor they, is incredibly yeah. underrated. Let's yeah. just the, they, uh, let's understand. Oklahoma got their asses handed to them. Under well, well, sure. Let's let's understand how good that defense is from Baylor. I think that Baylor has not been discussed enough, and truly, I thought they were overrated, and I was way off. I didn't realize how good of a defense that they were. I think that the, their offense is just good enough to get by. And when you have a game where you can shut down a team like Oklahoma, who has a very potent offense, then honestly, that team might be a top eight consideration for the rest of the year. That's Absolutely. But, like, as I was trying to say before, is with the Oklahoma quarterback situation, you saw Caleb Williams start. He struggled. Then they put in Spencer Rattler, and he did pretty bad, let's just say. Then they put Caleb Williams back in. It's like, stick with the QB and make the decision. Like, you can't just flip-flop throughout the whole year. It's not like where Army is, like, made to run with different quarterbacks. They flip-flopped because one was struggling after the other, and they couldn't find themselves during the whole game. They kept switching, and that doesn't work. Well, here's the thing. When you have two quarterbacks, you have zero quarterbacks. Well, I wouldn't, say, I wouldn't say that. That's that's the expression because that means that you can't really settle on one. You can't get chemistry with either. If they're similar, they can, but in this situation, they're not, and it just did not work. Like they they just did not have the successful chemistry against Baylor, and it showed. Like well, Baylor, well, show because Caleb Williams isn't that. entirely ready. And he isn't, but Spencer Rattler should be, and he's not. Well, sure. But let's understand that that Spencer Rattler also wasn't the worst quarterback ever. He was 25th in QBR when he exited. Yes, that's but... N- that's not bad at all. Yes, but he's also being coached by Lincoln Riley, who's produced Heisman after Heisman. And re- results with from him should be better. Well, when you have a quarterback with DJ Ugalele starting, and he is almost 100th ranked in QBR, that that's a problem. <laughs> so let's... Let's just understand that Spencer Rattler was far, far better than DJ Ugalele, and DJ Ugalele still is starting for some reason. There's a difference of that Clemson doesn't have the backup to be better than him. Well, they got Tyson Fomachan, who is a four-star recruit. They do, but it's not on the same level as the Oklahoma does with Caleb Williams and Spencer Rattler, both who are very able to lead an offense like that. We don't really know what Fomachan has yet. Yeah. It's fair. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to end with one final topic. Who will win the MVP for the AL? Who are the options? 
I mean, like, there's so many. Well, I would go with Otani, but... Oh, well, that just makes me think. Okay, so... okay, <laughs> You got Otani so and you got okay. Vlad Guerrero. So I think the unfair choice here is Otani. And it's not fair for Vlad. Like, Vlad had an amazing year. Nothing against him. But you got to look at Otani here, and he's ridiculous on offense. Then you got to add in the pitching factor. He was the ace of the Angels... At the same time as leading them on offense, that shouldn't happen. That's not what. That's not. That doesn't align with baseball physics. It doesn't. It doesn't work like that usually. And you got this guy, who completely like remakes a team in his own image on offense, and then on like for pitching, he was their ace. That doesn't usually work. And he was arguably the ace of the AL, too. Yes. <laughs> well, he's not an AL Cy Young consideration, so he's probably not. But, like... Well, I mean, arguably, I mean, I, I'm definitely having top five. He's sure. top five. That, that, that's, that's the issue. Well, let me ask you this. Would you take Robbie Ray over him? If you had to start one game? Because Otani had two or three bad games that really destroyed his era a bit. Well, but besides that, he was 100% dominant. Yeah. yeah. 100%. But for the most part, he was dominant the entire year. I mean, there's, like, or Garrett Cole, something like that. But, like, I mean, it matters which team you're playing. Because, like, Garrett Cole is, like, more fami- probably more familiar with the stress level and playing against these harder teams than Otani is. Like, Otani went against the, the Yankees, and he fell flat on his ass. And it did not go well. Well, let's understand that Otani also pitched in the arguably best division in baseball, the AL West. That is true. And, like, they got... You got the Astros, and you got the Mariners, and you got the A's. A's, who are all playoff contenders right there. I mean, you also got the Texas Rangers. The Rangers are ass, but they're not... That's they're not, said by my not, brother. <laughs> they're not mentioned. They're, they're irrelevant. Like the, the Rangers are like... They're, they're like... They're the uh, little boy in the conference. No. <laughs> That's what they are. They're, they're, like, they're like the peasants in the... Like, the, like this class day system in ancient India. They're at the bottom and no one cares about them. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's harsh. <laughs> Do you really think the kings at the time cared at all about the peasants? No. Yeah, there's your, there's Kindly. There's, no. there, there's your thinking. So, like, you got the Texas Rangers. They gave away all they had. And, like, I mean, teams are so, like, the people on the Rangers are so willing to leave that Shinsu Chu, who was on them for a long time, went to the KBO. <laughs> he could have easily been in the majors. Yet, he chose to leave the Rangers. He didn't want to resign because of how bad they are. He went to play in front of his family in Korea rather than stay with the Rangers who could have offered him more money. That's sad. That's sad. Yeah, that, that's really sad. He's very much able of getting a, a big league contract. I definitely know he's better than Tim LaCastro, so I know he can get a major league contract. And there's something very strong about that, about the Rangers. It's showing that they're not good at all. Well, that's where we're going to end it today, folks. We'll see you next week on Beef Talk 12. See you then.